Hello, and welcome to the very first episode of Let's Chat with Revel and Friends. I am your host, Chris Revel, recording here in beautiful Providence, Rhode Island, and what we like to refer to as the Cat Cave. If you are listening to this episode, this intro is recorded about almost a year after the original air date. Um, if you are new to the show, thank you so, so much for checking it out. I just want to give you a heads up. Our first episode is wonderful, but the show gets a lot better. You might be a little confused of who Mike is. Uh, originally, when we started the show, it was called Let's Chat with Mike and Chris, and somewhere around the return of Topher Davis will be Mike's last episode. And the show has continued on. So now we're called Let's Chat with Revel and Friends. Uh, so I just want to give you a heads up. Back then, our show was good, but it, I think it's gotten a lot better. So browse around, hit subscribe, check out our Nate Peavy episodes are fun. Ashley, Ep- Ashley Hogue's great. The return of Nate Peavy was a lot of fun. Listen to everybody. It's just great. Uh, if you want to contact the show, write to us at letschatpodcast at gmail.com. Like us on Facebook.com slash Let's Us Chat. You can find us on Tumblr, Let's Chat Podcast.tumblr.com. Well, thank you so much for listening, and here's the very first episode of Let's Chat with Royal Friends with our guest, John Pasinich. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Let's Chat. Uh, in full disclosure, the man we're interviewing is actually my father-in-law, so that's how we were able to guilt him into the podcast. He's a self-published author. I think that's really interesting. And I, the angle I wanted to have when I asked him to come on is someone who's worked in print media, uh, newspapers. I kind of remember those. Do you remember those, Mike? Vaguely. Yeah. I don't know what happened to him. And then now is working for a startup, uh, also in the media industry. So, John, welcome to Let's Chat. Thank you. So, first off, let's just get this out of the way. You wrote your own book. How the hell did you do that? <laughs> I can't even write a paragraph. For about a year, I was writing haiku just to see if I could do it. And I like playing with words. So, a lot of my haikus will use a play on word. What I like about a haiku is that it's a poem of 17 syllables in... American English, we use a structure of three lines, five syllables, seven syllables, five syllables, and you just force words to fit into that scan to get a point across. So having written them for about a year, I looked into e-publishing, mm-hmm. and it was a lot easier than just sending it a whole complete manuscript to some publisher and not hearing back for like months. This, you just publish, and it's on... Um, a place called uh, Smashwords, which is at www.smashwords.com. I like a man that plugs himself. Yes. <laughs> so they look up smashwords.com, John Pacinich, you come up? Yes. Buy it. It's a dollar. Uh, we've invested more than a dollar to this episode. 
Should we spell his name? P i c i n i c h. Right? Yes, yeah, that's correct. I had to learn that one. <laughs> and the name of the collection of haiku is Red Chrysanthemums. Wow. Can't spell chrysanthemums. Can you, Mike? I don't know. No. <laughs> I, I'll be honest. I've read many of your haikus. They're beautiful. And you've kind of become our uh, family speechmaker and poet. Any chance we throw, we put them on the spot at the bonfire at our wedding. The I'm, family poet laureate. Yeah. I might have been a little intoxicated. So instead of being like, hey, uh, John, do you think you can give us like a little speech for the bonfire? It turned into, John, 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 and then me <laughs> screaming, and we all just chanted until he gave us a speech. We always give great speeches, which we always really appreciate. Would you happen to have any haikus with you so people can get a little taste of what they should buy for $1? <laughs> yes, actually. Um, I'll read the haiku I wrote that actually gave me the title for Red Chrysanthemums. Facet reflections, lush field of lotus blossoms, red chrysanthemums. Wow, I like that. You've always had a way with the words? Yes. Your daughter has it, who I've married. I'm very proud of that. (laughs) So are we. You guys are very good at the language. So how bad of a brother of a uh, son-in-law is Chris? Oh, he's very good son-in-law. I'm teasing. (laughs) What I like most about it is that every time we come over... And it's been this way for years. We're always totally relaxed. There's no tension. There's no unnecessary arguments. We don't do everyone anything. just enjoys everyone else's company. Chris is one of the most laid back people. I and we met. eat. I knew nothing of the world of food like these people until I met them. Like, oh my god, I didn't eat chicken until three years ago. I mean, in full disclosure, uh, my wife and his wife just made us a very large pasta dinner before we recorded this interview, and it was incredible. So let's take it all the way to the beginning. Where where did you grow up? I grew up in Paramus in Bergen County in northern New Jersey. Sopranos land. <laughs> oh, my <laughs> God. So it's yeah. exactly like the Sopranos. Like you grew up like Tony, mob parents. Eh, not exactly. Oh, God. <laughs> 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 oh, oh, man. Um, my mother's side is full Italian. Um, three of my grandparents immigrated from Italy shortly after World War One. My grandfather, who I got the name Pacinich from, he was in the Austro-Hungarian Navy during Jeez. World War One, and then after the war, he came to this country, married my father's mother, and uh, my three grandparents are not Platon. They're from southern Italy, the Naples area. Wow. You're not Italian, Mike. No. I'm half. No, Laura's half. Yeah, it's... But we had no Sopranos style upbringing. The closest I ever got to, I think, Mafia was one of my uncles, Vinny, said that uh, one day he walked into this big family gathering and he was telling everybody he had a hot suit. And I was a little youngish at the time. And, you know, I went up and asked him, why don't you take your jacket off if you're hot? (laughs) And then my father had explained to me that hot suit meant he bought it stolen from somebody. Oh, my God. That is so cool. I think I'm the only person I've ever met. Well, I never met myself, but I defend New Jersey to the death, and I am not from there. Yeah, I love the area. Before I met your daughter, I've been going there from a camp I worked at and had friends who lived in Hawthorne and uh, kind of your region a little bit. Sussex County, mostly. But I really love that area. Growing up in New Jersey. So you grew up outside Manhattan. Yes. So you got to see old Manhattan. Well, not like old Manhattan because you're a very young man, but... <laughs> Pre-Giuliani kicked out all the homeless people and made it clean. Like yes. Porn theaters and stuff. Yeah, I remember 42nd Street when you really didn't want to <sighs> walk down it because yeah. it had all the porn palaces and all that. But it had a seedy character about it. Did you like it better then? 
it had more character. Yeah. But right now it's a little bit more safe, say. So what, when, what decade was this? Uh, early 70s. I think of Taxi Driver when I... Show <laughs> Taxi? New York. The show Taxi? No, no the movie. Taxi Driver. Oh, Robert I never saw that. Robert De Niro. Yeah. When he, uh, you know, starts plugging people at the very end. Yeah. I got to make a list of movies I need to see. Um, man, I've, I really, I enjoy New York City a lot. I've been fortunate to go there a fair amount growing up kind of close to it, but not as close as you guys. Like for you guys, New York is nothing because it's just like the next thing right there. It's like, oh, I'm going to New York. It's a half hour away. Without traffic, it's about 10, 15 minutes. Yeah. Oh, but that never happens. <laughs> There's usually traffic, yeah. yes. But if we leave early on Sunday, like at 10 o'clock, we're in by within a half hour and I'm parking, oh, gosh. you know, 10 minutes after that. <laughs> Yeah, five hours for me, or four yeah. and a half. <laughs> yeah, it's like three from here, but I grew up an hour and a half, two hours away. Is it only three from Providence? Uh, three and a half, maybe? I it's guess about three and a half. Three and yeah, a half. I've only really... Yeah, yeah, maybe that sounds about right. And you guys have been coming up to Providence for, again, before Providence was nice, too. <laughs> so you got to see two cities transform, basically, just by living. Yeah. Yeah, I never came to Providence before it got nice. I wanted to on a field trip here. Try to read some of your handwriting. Yeah, it's right. not the best. So, um, you grew up in New Jersey. School life was pretty normal. Not in The Sopranos, sadly. So, where'd you go to college? I know you're a college man. I went to uh, Montclair State College, which now calls itself Montclair State University. So then they up tuition like thirty grand and changed the title. Yes. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I had friends who went to Bryant College as it turned to Bryant University their sophomore year, and just tuition hiked and nothing changed. Uh. <laughs> so. You went at the right time. I like Montclair a lot, too. Uh, your daughter's taking me there. Montclair nice has town. a lot of nice yeah. restaurants. We'll do a Jersey trip, Mike. It yeah, is we should. nice down there. Where would you recommend someone goes if they're going to New Jersey for the first time to eat or to see stuff to see? To eat, you couldn't go wrong going to Montclair. Mm-hmm. Just go on a couple of the main drags there and just pick a restaurant almost at random. Mm-hmm. They are very good. Uh, for sightseeing in Jersey, you got to see the Jersey Shore. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you want a touch of the old shore, you go to Cape May, which is at the very tip of uh, the peninsula. You remember that from Sopranos. With the fish, the talking fish. The talk- when he has to kill Big Pussy, mm-hmm. and he has that dream, and he goes By to the, the shore, water. Asbury Park. Yep. All right. I always want to listen to Bruce Springsteen when uh, a couple of times I've been down there. <laughs> oh, he's from, Jer- he's from, <sighs> he's from he? Jersey. Oh, he is Jersey. <laughs> Not to them, but yeah. The boss. Oh my god, I love Bruce. Since this podcast is about John, I'll still show the story. I met Bruce Springsteen once. At, oh, uh, cool. Where? Uh, at um, Starland Ballroom. My friend's band Folly was opening up for Bad Religion, and uh, which was an honor in itself to watch. And he stood next to me in the bar, and I was like, "Like <gasps> beers," and I didn't want to no bother worries. him. Seriously? And then, from what I understand, that's Bruce. He hangs out at like places in Jersey, New York, all the time when he's not on tour. He's that guy. The staff didn't even care. It's like, "Oh yeah, Bruce is here." It's like, "But you're the uh, uh, Atlantic City still makes me feel feelings every time I hear it." Wow. Oh god, that guy is the best. You have bad writing. You're We wrote some questions down, but I can't read Mike's writing. I'm one to talk, though. Uh, well, why don't you tell us a little bit? This is what I wrote. Tell us a little bit about how you met your wife, and and then having oh. children. Hi, oh, I don't know that story. Okay, we had met in college. We were in the same journalism class, practical journalism one. It met at eight o'clock in the morning, and. We both started working on the college newspaper at roughly the same time. Aww. And one time I asked her out on a date. 
and uh, we started dating rather steadily. <laughs> and some of our other uh, friends who got married, they roll on a college newspaper as well. Oh, wow. Something in the water there. Yeah, it must have been, and uh, everyone stayed together <laughs> ever oh, since. That's a, that's a rarity these days. It strikes us as so. Yeah. And might I add, not just together, but like happily together and should be together. Because there's a difference from being together and mm. happily together. How long have you guys been married? Oh, we got married in 77. Wow. 1977. Right, not 1877. <laughs> he wasn't born yet. Uh, but you had a good question about the yeah. wedding. I really, yeah, I was um, kind of curious. You, you walked Victoria down the aisle, yes. Yes, I did. It was what, um, what was going through your head? What was that like? Walking, giving her away at the altar was. It was, was so. First, it was a long walk. It was a very long walk, and I had to make sure I didn't step on her gown <laughs> or on her veil because yep. that does happen. So, um, you know, I had to sort of keep just a little bit of extra space between us, and. As uh, I was walking, I was joking with her a little bit, but what was going through my head was just how thrilled I was that I was giving her away to Chris. And I was also remembering various other times um, as we were raising Victoria where she and I would do something together and it was our own little thing that we would do. Like I used to drive her all the time to uh, dancing class. That's how your first song came to be, right? The Gloria Stefan song? Yes. Yeah, we played that tape quite a bit when I'd take her to dance class way back when she was in uh, grammar school and it became one of our favorite songs that we played i might be i can maybe put this picture on facebook but john's a little bit of a son of a bitch because when he gave her away and you know you go and do the handshake and the hug squeezed in and i started to let go and he squeezed me in and he goes it's an honor to call you my son and that was the moment i just started crying the whole wedding the rest of the ceremony cried my everyone did not just me everybody was crying most beautiful ceremony ever Actually, the Justice of the Peace wants to come on with an episode one day. Oh, that would that, be cool. Yeah. He's a really cool guy. He's cool. That was. I liked the way he did the ceremony. Oh, so great. That was fun. We should we should do that again. You could always renew your marriage, right? Yeah, have a big party. So let's get into uh, the the nuts and bolts here. You graduated college. So did you go to school for journalism? No, I was an English major. So I came out qualified to read, mm -hmm. basically. Um, but when I came, when I was going to college. The old line editors who were doing the hiring at newspapers did not want journalism majors because mm. when you join a newspaper, you're not going to write about journalism. Yeah. You'll write about almost anything else. So they were looking for English majors, history majors, science majors, any majors but journalism majors. It's like editing and the way with yeah. words and stuff. So was your passion media and journalism or were you just fell into it? Um, It was something I could do and uh, so it became a job. I know that feeling. <laughs> Many a time. I'm also an English major. I didn't finish. Oh, really? Yeah. It's, Sociology. Uh, it's definitely a major. Yeah. I think you have to be passionate about reading and writing yeah. and to, to be an English major. So what made you fall for poetry specifically? Because that's such a... Well, that was after a long time. Yeah. I started yeah. out as a journalist. Then I did some internal corporate communications jobs, which I hated. I went back to journalism. Then I wound up on a wire service where everything is immediate. And... Um, after a while, I felt like um, trying my hand at writing short stories. Like so, for fun? For fun. And to try to get published. Yeah. That took about a year. But I was published in a small, what they call the small press, um, small magazines, or they oh, even wow. call them zines, Z-I-N-E-S. Oh, yeah, I remember that from the punk world. Yeah. DIY zines, zines yeah. Oh, and yeah. I uh, focused on writing horror short stories. Wow. And then I developed horror poetry because I wanted to play with 
words that way. Yeah. And I was getting a lot more poems published than I was wow. short stories. And again, the payment was usually a copy of the magazine you appeared in, but I yeah. wasn't doing it for the money. I was yeah. just doing it for the satisfaction. Passion project. Yeah. Yeah. So what kind of reading growing up and then college made you want to write? Like, what authors specifically got you kind of influenced? When I was growing up, it would be um, Hemingway and all because he wrote very simply. And I like that style of writing, which is why I leaned toward journalism. And um, aside from Hemingway, I really had no favorite authors growing up. I just had certain books that I enjoyed reading. Later on, I developed more of a taste for particular authors where I will read everything mm -hmm. that they've uh, published. Hemingway is great. For Whom the Bell Tolls is one of the first novels that really that I really, really loved. I wish I knew more about literature for this part of the podcast. <laughs> I feel so bad. That's Who else? Well, So if you're young out there, and like me, you're not a big reader, who do you recommend? Depends what you like to read. There are so many different... Styles of writing, there are so many different genres now. I think now. I'm a nonfiction fan and oral stories, <laughs> as I've said already. Well, I can't. I like Chuck Westerman. Ah, okay. That's kind of it. Yeah, I can't quite help you there. I yeah. read only fiction. You read Game of Thrones before it was a show. Yes. I think we talked about that last night. I had to try to watch that show. Do you watch it? No, I haven't. I know. Uh, everyone. Do you like Stephen King? King? I, I read some of stories, yeah, so. I read some of his novels. Yeah, um, but I really enjoyed when I was writing horror short stories. I really enjoyed reading uh, Dean Koontz mm. and all, but he's both a horror and he also writes um, like very thriller, dark maybe? fantasy, and he's more of a thriller writer now. But it's always a thriller with all these horrific overtones, <laughs> where he writes about real psychopaths or sociopaths. Mm -hmm. So I read him for. A while while I was writing the short stories. That's so cool. So then, so out of college, you started working for a large called Wirepiece. You don't have to say the name of the place since you don't work there. If you want to, feel free. We don't want to put anyone on the spot. Okay, uh, easy so enough. <laughs> worked for uh, internationally one of the largest media outlets in the world, pre-internet. Yes. What the hell was that like without internet in, the, in that world? I mean, like something could happen and we'd have to wait a day. I mean, literally. Basically, yes. Um, I don't want to do that. The newspapers, you... You were, I mean, you you, you were, you lived through history. I mean, I know it's a, such a short period of time, but things have transformed so much, even in just my lifetime. Like, imagine, like, my great-grandmother went from without, life without cars to cars. Right. You went from, you were in the field that almost exploded in on itself. Well, according to some David Simon interviews I read, he claims it's not the internet's fault, it was purely the greed of capitalism and uh, capital gains and advertising that ruined the media, <laughs> not not the internet. You're also David it depends. Simon, if or... you can get something for free, why would you pay for it? Yeah. And that's the tr just... trouble a lot of newspapers are having. Yeah. And there's a lot of – and then the content and stuff. And there's a whole lot of different issues with that. It's just uh, – I, I, I'm telling you, 20 years from now, there's going to be a whole slew of documentaries of what every large industry did wrong with the internet, with the music industry, with the newspaper industry, like – there's already a few coming out, like downloaded as opposed to like about Napster. Cause the record labels could have bought Napster but didn't and said they sued everybody. And so what? what it's always that I struggle. Guess I could ask, what don't you like about tech today and the way that things are going on? And what what do you like? Is there anything you don't you don't like about tech? Today? What I do like about tech is my current job. I work straight at home. There's no commuting costs. 
The downside is, of course, if there's a blizzard, I still have to work. <laughs> uh, with the new tech, you can work from almost anywhere. And you were for a startup. Yes. That's why I think it's so cool. You went from print media, and then the thing that almost destroyed media is uh, <laughs> it found its second life, and you're like, rolling in it and happy. Yes. For the first time in a couple of decades, yeah. I'm enjoying being a copy editor because they gave me free reign to come up with interesting headlines as well as sub-headlines, which is the breaker after a few paragraphs in a story, just so it's easier on the eyes. So I'm able to play with a lot of words there, and they like what I'm doing. And they tell me they like what they're what I'm doing. I love the content, too, because they don't dumb it down for your audiences. And if you want to say, I don't remember the name of your Well, company. the name of the uh, startup to... is Newzela, N-E-W-S-E-L-A. It's a you know combination of news and ELA stands for English Language Arts. Um, it's part of the core curriculum that a lot of schools have now to get federal funding. The core curriculum emphasizes critical thinking about nonfiction reading. And New Zealand takes a news story from, say, Associated Press or the LA Times. It has a staff of writers that will rework this news story into certain reading grade levels. So we could have a story about, say, Discovery Probe on Mars, and we have it uh, written in 10th grade, 8th grade level, 6th grade, and 5th grade levels. And it has, you know, four separate levels, so I have to come up with four separate headlines per story. Plus I love your headlines. Of, uh, subheads. Cool. His headlines are so great. I like I'm a, a sucker for a good headline. I'll have to show you the site afterwards. It's what was it called again? I have a bad memory. New Zealand. So you New make Zealand. it like yeah, you take I'll a, a news story and you make it accessible for those. Yes, those they levels. Bring it down into the reading level mm -hmm. through some sort of a program that shows them what you know various words are for the grade level. Hmm. So I could hit a couple of keys as I'm editing a story, and it will highlight the eighth grade words. It'll highlight like sixth grade words, stuff. vocabulary, and sentence structure. Oh, wow. And if um, you notice that at the higher the reading level, the more complex a sentence can be. Mm -hmm. When you're going down to middle school and a little bit below it, the sentences are much more simple. They're not compound sentences, basically. Mm -hmm. And it's... Um, so you have to judge the reading level by both vocabulary as well as sentence structure. That's probably it's probably got to be hard to take yourself out of the mindset of an adult, an educated adult, and bring yourself down to middle school, and and do you know what I mean? No, I to yeah. make it fit. Well, I kind of like the middle school level. <laughs> no, no, <laughs> yeah, I think that's true. I love the science. But the writers do all the hard work. Yeah, They're yeah. the ones who are bringing it down to those levels. I'm just copy editing it mm -hmm. to check all the facts as well as to make sure that they're not throwing in too big of words mm -hmm. for various levels. And like I said, I have to come up with headlines and the subheads, which is what gives me the biggest kick about the job. You have to show me. And you were a copy editor before? Yes. I was now, a copy editor for roughly 20 years with a uh, wire service. Let's pretend that some people, I mean, I know what it is. What does that entail in case the listeners don't know what a copy editor is? Oh, it's is, simple. Is it a reporter it writes a story. Um, the copy editor checks the story, make sure all the facts are there. So you did fact-checking too? Yes. You have to do fact-checking. You could go back to the reporter and say, this doesn't make sense. Explain it. Mm. And you just make sure that the words are spelled correctly, the grammar is there. And every, um, almost every newspaper and all the wire services use a particular style guide, uh, the AP 
style guide. It's put out by Associated Press. It's certain ways to present various words. And also that there's a consistency to the way you're reporting. Like you spell out the numbers one through nine. For ten and above, you always use the figure. Yeah. Oh, I think I knew that. I knew. I didn't know you did fact checking. So you probably were never around for any big scandals, and you knew some fact checks were leaking through. No. no. <laughs> you, were that, you were that high up in the totem pole. No, but uh, sure Google just... has made fact checking and very. Uh, oh yeah. Much easy. So let me guess. You probably had to use a relic called an encyclopedia. Back yes, then. we had encyclopedias. Twenty-six mm. books. That were outdated every year. <laughs> Countries were just vanished by the time the new print would come. Yeah, we had a lot more reference books. God, we had some all in school. Oh yeah, yeah. God, we're damn kids. They don't teach it anymore. Internet. I don't think. Oh, I hope they do. I don't know. I heard they don't teach cursive anymore. That's kind of sad. It is. Um, so a, good... a lot of programs have given way, and one of them is penmanship, which is a shame because um, some people believe that if you're writing something by hand and you're doing it cursive you're writing a little slower you're giving yourself more of a chance to mm. think about what you're writing and typing when you just so, fly yeah and there are some schools that are bringing back penmanship or cursive <laughs> I, handwriting. I heard a story on npr recently that said that because kids these days are texting so often instant messaging online talking on facebook using instead of you, they're using you they're using numbers that when they get into the classroom they don't know how to properly structure sentences. Right. They don't know how to write essays. They don't know how to write papers because they're used to the sporadic mm. type of language and they don't know how to apply it when they get to the classroom. That's and it's true. it's like a real problem now. Thanks, Obama. <laughs> well, that's why they have the Common Core curriculum. Yeah. And they're trying to emphasize writing skills along with um, the various other things that Common Core is supposed to accomplish. It's so crucial. It, I think English think... teachers like... Teachers get so important. Your Jersey governor hates teachers. Uh, we've noticed that. Chris Christie? <laughs> yeah. yeah. He just got reelected. I know. He's I don't know got, much about uh, his policy. Well, he's kind of, I call it, it's got the Giuliani syndrome, like Mayor Giuliani. Everyone hated him, and then a disaster happened, and everyone loved him. Everyone hated Giuliani until 9-11. Like, he yeah, was not know. very well loved. He no, was, he wasn't. Uh, he's a horrible... Could it, was he worse than Bloomberg, though? I don't know enough about it. I only know there's a great documentary I saw on Netflix about uh, the name escapes me about Giuliani and all the horrible things he did mm. that he got away with. So in my head, I know this is probably wrong. I like to picture your old job in the media days, kind of like Mad Men, where men in suits and you're smoking cigars. And, <laughs> but probably not like that at all. You're well, we did have to wear shirts and ties, and when we hard. covered meetings, we went yeah. to uh, we wore jackets. Fedoras? Were there fedoras being worn? Um, only by the older guys back oh, then. God, it's such a I, you, this guy pulls off a fedora. I've I never assume. worn a fedora. Oh my god, me and Laura talk about it. About what? I think you could wear a fedora. She said that. I said it to her. I was like, said it as a joke, like it's an ironic hat. And she's like, no, I think I you pulled that off. I don't think people even wore those anymore. Not enough. That's so Unironically. Weird. Unironically. <laughs> <laughs> so where's that old guard? You had to work with the old guard of media. Now, yes. how did that, how, when the, the uh, internet kind of came more mainstream, was there a panic within the agency or did they adapt pretty quickly? They adapted pretty quickly because in a sense, the Newswire was an internet style yeah. thing. Was, the focus was on immediacy. And the stories went out to a subscription base that was part newspaper, but also television, radio, which mm. used it immediately. Yeah. And it had a lot of big financial house clients because it did specialize in financial news. 
And those guys want it, you know, immediately as well. So we were doing, we were accenting the immediacy of the news um, in in the days before the internet. Oh, that's really great. And you got your startup job because of someone you used to work with in old media, pretty much, right? Like an old friend? Um, From the same news wire. Yeah, yeah. Like years later, you reconnected or something or... Yeah, in '06, uh, she yeah. left yeah, uh, the place and you know tried freelance for a while. And um, when the startup was getting ready to start up, she wanted a couple of copy editors. And because of the workload they envisioned, she wanted people from a wire service. Yeah, because we're used to handling a lot at once, and uh, you know. She searched me out on LinkedIn, which is a professional network, Mm -hmm. sent a friend request, mentioned Reuters, and so I said yes. And before I knew it, she sent me a message saying, we're looking for... Oh, wow. That's so (laughs) great. And we just took it from there. And I just clicked with the company um, because they just said, we like what you're doing. I mean, it's that old story. Like I know you hear it all the time, but you know, work hard and be nice and good things will happen. And I think you've had a lot of that. Just you're yes. very, you work your ass off, and you're very nice. And it's a it's a real kick, though. Every so often, um, my wife and I will go down to say Atlantic City with a couple of friends. But at one point during the day, I have to separate myself from yeah. them with a laptop because a story has to get done. <laughs> so part of this whole new media and new tech thing is that you're at their beck and call yeah. every so often. It's the nature of my job, which I don't mind. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm curious. You know, I used to work at Borders, and they're gone now. Mm. Um, when I was growing up, my dad, the paper was something that your dad read. You know, he brought it inside, and on Sundays especially, um, he would bring it inside, and there was that those couple hours where you knew dad was reading the paper, and it was it was a tangible thing. He was holding it. You could flip through it. I, he would give me the the comics. You could hold it in your hands. Yeah. Now people have Nooks, Kindles, uh, tablets. What is your thought on books becoming? It, it's not you're not flipping pages anymore. It's less tangible. It's, I'm old it's so fashioned. I and, like the feel of the book mm-hmm. in my hand. I like flipping yeah. the pages. I like smelling the pages. Mm-hmm. I like walking through an old bookstore and smelling the mustiness. Providence has a lot of great bookstores, <coughs> by the way. Teller stories. Have we ever taken you there? I don't know if I've even been there. It's the best bookstore I've ever been to. It's an old bookstore. I don't. It's downtown, right? Mm-hmm. On Matthews. Know what we're doing tomorrow? If okay. it's open, I've hundreds and yeah. hundreds and hundreds of books. Ephemera, yeah. old ephemera from Masson, Rhode Island. Every category of, of book you could possibly imagine, old and new. It's mm. it's it's it makes you giddy if you like books. It's incredible. See, my prediction is books are going to become the new vinyl. I think you're going to see a slump. You're not going to see as many books, and then there's going to be the purists like you and people like me. I like to hold a book, and then it's going to become more of that like niche culture because everything's I changed. Well, Someone, my wife has. Um... Well, books will always be there, but. I don't know though. I mean, I hate to say it. I trust me. I'm. I'm. I know, but people say that too about like music. Like, oh, like I mean, CDs are still made, vinyl still made, cassettes just stop being. It just takes a long time for things to be erased. I think there's a lot of people who love book, like the physical copy of a book. You know, libraries will always exist. Well, a guy I worked with like the Kindle mm-hmm. or the Nook. I forget which one he had, because he could read a really fat book on a yeah. very small, you know pad mm-hmm. basically and it was a lot easier for him to commute 
with the Kindle than it would be if he was, you know, carrying a 1,000-page novel. I think they're definitely cool. I mean, they're really cool. I kind of want one. I think they're They're great for travel and being in the whatever, you know. I like to read a... I'm reading a biography on Jim Henson right now. I saw it from the library. Yeah, I didn't get very far. (laughs) Well, you know what? The one thing that uh, the Nook can never take away is the old comics. Oh yeah. Did you read the comics too? I mean, I know you're an adult, but I still, I still read the, I still read. It's about the only section of newspaper (laughs) these days. Garfield and uh, Calvin and the Hobbes. I still actually have a bunch of the books. I read them sometimes, like on a snowy morning. I would read, yeah, the Sunday comics for every kid. It does feel it's kind of strange that I do feel that whole newspaper culture is going to be lost upon a new generation. Like I don't think I even got it. I never. Kids my age certainly. I think it is an older, uh, older. It tends to be people. Kids don't read the newspaper, really, do they? I, I don't. Have they ever? Not, I, I read, not unless they're assigned to in class. Yeah, yeah. I read the Phoenix, the Providence Phoenix, but yeah. that's about it. Yeah. Or when I lived in Connecticut, the New Haven Advocate. So more of those kind of things. It's hard, too, because papers are... Uh, do you believe that private interests... We're getting a little deep here, but do influence what is printed, what isn't printed, and the way story... Or do you think they're pretty fair and balanced? You try... Just in general. The reporters try to, um, you know, be as objective as they can. The problem is that with all the instantaneous media, mm-hmm. um, you're getting a lot of one-source stories now, where one guy says one thing, and they go with that, and then some other guy will say some other thing, and you get a totally separate story. There's no melding of some stories in a lot of the new media mm-hmm. that's around. And a lot of it is single source because the accent is more on speed and that's wrong because you have to try to get in as much as you can into a story. And I think they have oversimplified a lot of the news just to get it out quickly and just to either sell advertising time mm. and all. It's mostly TV that has really made news extraordinarily shallow you don't get both sides to a lot of issues. You just see a lot of screaming people about various things. What did the 24-hour news start? Was that the early 2000s? Um, that was in the 90s, I think. I had to say, the first time I remember being, not personally engulfed in the story, but uh, the OJ trial. I know there's some other things, but I think that was that precursor where they're like, we can do nothing and sell airtime to these idiots. Who was the Tammy Faye Baker? Like They would just pick these people and make celebrities out of them and like you didn't see the news when oj was going on or when anna nicole smith died or whatever so i never thought of that and a lot of the news stations i know fox news always got shit for being pretty conservative for being a conservative station but well it is but man msnbc and they all kind of jump ship with that and they all feel like they only gear to one point i can't yeah we were even talking about the uh, things going too fast. The story is like perfect example: the Boston Marathon bombing. So much inappropriate, inaccurate reporting that day on Reddit. Mm-hmm. On, remember totally. the guy on CNN just was like be, making up bullshit. Oh yeah, and he, being he yelled got, at. He, said he got it. He he said on TV, "I got a text message." What did it say? I don't know. Some some news that was completely false. There was yeah. just flat out lies being told to you, just because they could be the first one. Right. And then they were like, you would see police like pushing journalists back because they were getting in the way. And so everyone always gets. I always heard the internet changed your media, but I didn't think about the television changing it. It's been more television and all. And if you notice on these great twenty four hour news um, stations, they give you the same cycle every oh couple God. of hours. And that has, um, you know, had an effect here and there because I remember during the 
one of the Democrat primary campaigns. It was um, Howard Dean running against uh, Kerry. Yep. And Dean had lost, but not by much, some primary. And he's rousing the troops. And he was going, and we're going to go get him on the next time. He did some sort of a Yahoo Yeah type thing. Oh, I could do it. What they started playing was that whole little segment over and over and over again, whereby that took a lot out of his campaign because people thought he was a nut. He lost an election. Yeah, he lost uh, the next primary simply on a newscast that was overdone. Ten seconds of yeah. That is We're going to hell! Woohoo! Back in the day, you couldn't. No. Now, if you say something, you bumble on TV or even the radio. Over and over and over. They can. You can't get rid of it. Right. You. You can. Someone somewhere has it, and they can just and they just play it and play it and play it. And there's some good about that, Mm -hmm. like that one uh, sheriff somewhere out west who pepper sprayed some lady and it became a sensation on youtube well they mocked the guy mm-hmm. mercilessly and he deserved no that, that was, uh, was around the time of the, the one, oh the students um i forget who it was but there's it was been, some sheriff there's been more than out one. west who pepper sprayed a yeah. woman at some sit-in mm-hmm. and oh, yeah. that made the rounds on youtube and the guy was basically publicly humiliated for overreacting to a woman sitting there by hitting her with pepper spray that's the other thing. There, uh, they—I don't know what town it was in. I think it was in Colorado. They outfitted. Uh, they the town made a decision to outfit all the police officers with cameras on yeah. their uniforms. Yeah. Uh, and they had to be on during their shift twenty four seven. And complaints, public complaints, went down by like eighty percent or eighty five percent. Cops c- can't be douches. And they're held accountable at tw- you know twenty. I mean, the experiences uh, a citizen in this country based on your race and class is so different. Like, yeah, it's there are a lot of good police officers though, and in fact, I think uh, most police yeah. officers are probably generally a lot of job. great cops. Uh, yeah, nothing yeah. cops, but like even the whole stop and frisk thing in Manhattan, well, in like Manhattan, New York City, yeah, that's it's disgusting. It's so improportionate. Yeah, we, at dinner we were, t- we were talking about uh, you were saying that the NSA is spying on the usage of pornography for their enemies, right? And you were saying that. Hoover did the same thing. So I think yes. You always have so much wealth of information. I'm guessing partially from your company. When he was director days. of the FBI, Hoover tried to get dirt on everybody, especially in Congress, uh, so that he would protect himself from them coming after him. Washington is all a game about information. And Hoover made a point of getting all sorts of information on everyone. He would try to follow the affairs of various politicians or you know, he was always going after Martin Luther King Jr. Um, just as a way to discredit them, saying this guy can't hold a moral candle to anybody. And he was just trying to, uh, you know, protect his job. But what the NSA is doing is trying to get similar type dirt on either the Occupy movement or anyone that it sees as an enemy. This episode might get us put on a list somewhere. Well, I was going to say, what John, we didn't tell John in my notes here. I've called the NSA, and I have your usage use notes right here. No, what if we did this whole podcast like a Jerry Springer thing? And your long-lost sister is right behind that door. That's not what you're here. Man. So you must absorb so much knowledge as a copy editor. Or yes. ignore. Some, <laughs> probably a little bit of both. You learn a lot. And well, you like the science stuff from your well, your new organization. What you, is um, it's not biased by any means. It's just facts. And when you're showing me the science stuff, is so cool. It is the science and, uh, is fucking fun. It is, and um, the I've, Mars rover, like, come on, Mar. They found water on like in the crust of Mars. Like, 
if you have heat and you have water, you have life. So there is life, was life, or maybe there will be life on Mars. We don't know! It could be anything. It found a couple of hydrogen molecules. That's and, so cool! I mean, it's such is. a small thing. And what I've enjoyed about the science section of New Zealand, because it has different type sections. Uh, one's called Kids, one's Money, one's War and Peace, which is more current events. There's the science section as an arts section. What I find fascinating about the science section is every time I do a story, I'm learning something. I never had really known that much about the Curiosity probe on Mars, and I didn't know much about dark matter, and I just learned about that. So I'm learning along with the kids so can you <laughs> by pass doing their these test? stories. Uh, I cheat. <laughs> I love your honesty. <laughs> That's so great. Um, every third story that New Zealand runs has a quiz attached to it that the teachers could have the kids take. Mm-hmm. Um, but because I'm a copy editor, I go in at a certain level. And as I'm copy editing all the quizzes to make sure every word is spelled correctly and I have to do check the answers, I find it easier just to go into a certain section that tells me what the answer is. And then I take the quiz to make sure that the correct answer does pop up. So I do cheat on the quizzes, but there's a reason behind it, just to make sure that there's no glitches, Mm -hmm. that if I choose the correct answer, it doesn't tell me it's the wrong answer. We had a problem with that once Hmm. because of some little quirk in the editing. Do they they cover a broad spectrum of topics? Do they get very political at Um, all? Because I would imagine there's probably not a lot of stories about Hezbollah and... And Middle Eastern extremists and stuff. Did they have had stories about um, Assad's use of chemical weapons. Okay. Um, we've had a story about Obama threatening to bomb Baghdad. We had another story about Russia telling the United States, don't bomb Baghdad. So it does do current events. And I think that's important. Yes. Very. It's fo- it followed the government shutdown. It followed uh, Obamacare. Mm-hmm. And uh, it followed um, you know, a political story out west where a couple of people who had pushed for gun control legislation they lost the recall the recall election so we ran a story about that again um a lot of the story uh, was brought down to the various reading levels but i noticed that a lot of uh, the stories that new zealand runs are very well rounded there's always more than one source there's always more than one viewpoint and they're very even-handed about the whole thing if someone wanted to go to this site, you just have to pretend you're a student. Is that right? Um, you can register as either a student, a teacher, or a parent. And they're not very strict about that stuff? Um, not really, because they want their name out there. Yeah, so everyone go to that site, and it's very information. I, I love it. And you are allowed to look at four stories without having to register. Oh, even better. I'll show it to you. Yeah. We can post it on the Facebook thing and yeah. for you. We'll, we'll talk about it afterwards. Well, let's talk about our favorite subject, food. As a New Jersey slash New York cultured man, where do you eat? Where are the secret, the good spots to go in Manhattan or Jersey? Like the, the one-off places like the old New York or old Jersey style? Um, Kind of depends. We go to Montclair a lot. Mm. And of course, the food's a little bit more reasonably priced than, <laughs> yeah. say... Manhattan. Yeah. Montclair has got a great food. <laughs> it does. You could almost pick any restaurant at random. 
Well, let's talk Providence since uh, we, I live here, you live near here, and I see you a lot up here. What's your favorite places around here? And we talk about this at dinner. I guess it goes by your, your favorite, like your mood for everything. So like, what yeah. are the kind of restaurants in Providence? That Almost anything in Federal Hill. Oh, any you, of the you Italian restaurants. You introduced me to Gnocchi, actually. I never had it. We had it in Mediterranean once. You let me try it. Yeah. Oh, have you ever had it? What's that? Gnocchi. Gnocchi? No. It's a pasta that's made out of potato. And what's it? How's it pronounced? Gnocchi. Gnocchi. I'm the no. worst with words. Oh, um, I think I may. Oh, so it was on a menu somewhere. So good. It may have even been cooking brown. Oh, we got to take Hope you there. Street. I think that's where it was. We've got oh, so much. And I wasn't sure what. It, that's exactly where it was. And then, okay. and then we. Well, no, Alex. Uh, one of your sons loves the Lux Burger. Yes, never been anything burger related. Matt will eat anything. Yes, he's more toward uh, sushi, say. Yeah, I finally started eating sushi. It was really great. And we love Nick's on Broadway. So much been in a while. I know it's so great. So, uh, what what shows do you watch? Like, what is uh, John Pasenich, famous editor, author, uh, do on his free time when it's just time to watch some TV? Um, I love Game of Thrones because I've read the series of five novels so far, and we're all waiting for novel number six. Get on that, G R R Martin. George R. R. Martin. <laughs> you were close. But, <laughs> I can never um, hear this. <laughs> but I love the Game of Thrones, the way they've adapted the novels. Of course, there's obviously a lot more to the novels because it's this big epic sweep, but the HBO series is doing an excellent job of that. I watched Burn Notice religiously. That, have you seen I thoroughly that show? Enjoyed it. and pieces, yeah. It's, pretty it's on USA. It's awesome. It's like a really cool spy show. It's really good. Yeah. Because there's a time where networks like that wouldn't have a quality show, but they had Monk, they had Burn Notice, Psych. But, like, Burn Notice is awesome. It, yeah, I was I watched it every week. It's uh, from so good. The first year it came out. Yeah. Star Trek always that gets was, put out when you guys come up. It's been out for a number of years. Yeah. You love the Star Trek. And Doctor Who. Uh, yeah. Victoria introduced me well, to Doctor I've, Who. Yeah. I'd never really seen it. But i come to like that show an awful lot. One thing I have to say about how lucky I am to marry into this wonderful family the week after I got married, uh, John's two sons came up and his wife uh, for the weekend. So her, my my brother in laws could take us to Comic Con in Rhode Island. Oh yeah, my first Comic Con. It was awesome. <laughs> so you raised three nerds. <laughs> We're, nerds are good. Yeah, nerds are good. Nerds are the best people. You know, I was so worried. Like in life, like father in laws can be so tough. I was like, nerds are the ones that are actually oh, in they're, control. They're nice people. <laughs> they're just nice folk. It's nice folk. Well, so I have a last question for you. Can you believe we're almost at our hour? It goes pretty quick. It does. How long I didn't we... realize we were at that long. Yeah, about 50, we're about 50 minutes, which is longer than we've ever done. Uh, I didn't run this by Mike. I'm so sorry. All right. I, uh, I kind of got this influence from a Richard Roper who was talking about, I don't remember who. And I kind of want to end this with all our guests. Um, if you can go back and watch your favorite movie again for the first time, what movie would it be? Or movies? Hmm. Think of that joy you feel the first time you saw a movie. I I think about this question now. It's been on my mind. I'm embarrassed by my answers all the time. Oh, really? Um, I watched Casablanca for the the first time. I love that movie. uh, Uh, Victoria and I watched it quite a bit together. Oh, she's told me. That's why she she loves that movie. Yeah, it's a very romantic movie. Can I just say, you can just interject, the scene where they're they're in the bar, she's come back. But now she's left, and it's just him and Sam. They're sitting in the bar, and he's got his he's he's that line where it says of all the the gin joints and all the bars in all the world, and he's crying. That scene gets me every time. Is that Humphrey? The pain in yes. his face. 
in that scene is just like, yeah, oh, it's just so good. And it's just something about that movie. It has so many great lines in it. It, it was a very well-written movie, very well-crafted. He's wearing a fedora. He is. They've got the picture. So, Mike, what about you? What would your be your... Uh... That was one of my first answers, but I think A New Hope. Wow. Star Wars A New Hope. When I was growing up, my sister had um, a VHS tape. It was um, A New Hope and Predator 2. First, <laughs> She had taped off the TV. I wasn't supposed to see the, the Predator, but the first time I saw Star Wars was like... That as, experience. As a young boy, was just like... Yeah. It blew my mind. We're going to skip my answer, so yours are so much better. No. <laughs> For no, some really. reason, I've been going back and forth. I've had like three weeks to think of this. Naked Gun 33 and a third. I was a little kid, but I remember, I think I might have peed myself. I laughed so hard. Like, I remember just <laughs> that To be honest, I've never the... seen any of the Naked Guns. Cut the podcast. We're going to Netflix right now. Like, <laughs> We'll watch it together. Or like V for Vendetta, or like the mm-hmm. first time I saw that. Airplane, I like though. Oh, God, I love Airplane Leslie Nielsen. Hysterical oh my God, the Zucker movie. brothers. And being John Malkovich is another one I'd like to yeah, watch that, for the first. That was yeah. He's oh, I Heart Huckabees too. That mm. was a movie that I was like, what the fuck is going on here? I like that movies. Was a weird, weird movie. Yeah, but I like that. Well, John, thank you so much for coming on. If people needed to find you on the, the internet uh, to buy your book, well, let's give them the site one more time before we plug it on the Facebook. Oh, the haiku? Yeah, your book. Oh, that would be um, www.smashwords.com. And just do a search for either my name, John Pesinich, or the name of the one collection so far, Red Chrysanthemums. The cover was designed by uh, my son, Matt. Oh, amazing graphic uh, artist, too. We're going to... I haven't seen it yet. We're going to have to cor- a course him, accost him to come on the podcast at some time we'll when he's it. ready. Let's get a little drunk. John, thank you so much, and let's chat again in the future. Ah, thank you.